You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from your semi-occluded vocal tract, have you practiced today? The answer is, of course, no, because it's <laughs> too early for it's me to have practiced. Way too early. Vocal fam, we are here for the December Vocal Fry event. Something <laughs> about high notes. <laughs> Never mind, we all sound like basses and tenors right now. It is uh-huh. early yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk high voice. High notes. <laughs> our radio voices. Oh, that's me. Uh, vocal fam, we have our dear friends Yvonne Redman and Kayla Godero here with us. Uh, <laughs> members of, uh, if you remember our episode from last year treble Mm -hmm. middle voice one of my Mm -hmm. favorite episodes we've ever ever done because it gave me yvonne's exercise from sarah wigley of my red blue purple violet things yes and uh gosh what an impact has that had for my musical theater singers but even my classical singers um and uh, so if you joined us for treble middle voice this is the sequel I was going to call it one thing originally, and my wife goes, "You should not call it that." Now I want and to know. And so this is oh, why this is why you have spouses or graduate students. This is my <laughs> and this is how you know they love you. Oh yes, when they say yeah. no, no. So I think I'm going to, to call burn. this. I think we're just going to call this to be, keep it really blunt. Treble extremes. Treble extremes. Right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, like you should have had your wife on. Oh, I didn't. Wait a minute. You know, if she weren't at work right now in a class giving a Mm. final. Uh, Well, you you know. uh, Those things. You know, jobs. Yeah. (laughs) Bills. Anywho, vocal fan. Someone has to keep Nick living in the lifestyle. (laughs) The life he has become accustomed. Yep. I'm just going to sip some coffee. God, I love the three women. Where it's all girls. I know. Three women cackling at him all at once. It must feel great. Someday I'm going to do an episode about tenors. I think I'll yeah. be sick that day. <laughs> this podcast started with two tenors and Sarah. Remember those days, Sarah? I do. I do. And it was really early every week. <laughs> Every that week. was when we were recording at like eight. I know. Oh yeah. I know, and people were chewing in my ears. <laughs> yeah. Michael used to bring in chicken strips. He would at eight Ooh. o'clock. He in the would morning. stop by the gas station, get his fried chicken. Little come secret about living that. in the South. Yes. Chicken. The best chicken strips you can buy are basically at every corner gas station. Yes, they are amazing, though. Forget wow. you know, like a fast food chain. Stop at your corner gas station. Get your chicken fingers. And uh, or they as they Which call like, them here strips. Yeah, they are chicken strips. I don't know why we keep them. When I hear you talk about tenors, it makes me think of your episode when you had all those tenors in your vocal pedagogy class, and they were competing on the breathing exercises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> who had the most volume? Who ex- yeah, who could expand their ribs the most? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we spent yeah. most of our time last year with treble middle voice essentially talking about the range from about E4 to C5 ish. Mm-hmm. You know, ish. Danger zone. Um, yep, yep. 
Yeah, yeah the danger yeah. zone. Right. Now, this this year I want to I want to kind of ascend from there and, you know, I think let's let's spend our first few minutes talking about some ideas, some info and some strategies just for like kind of the D5 to A5 range, kind of that next transition area. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, which admittedly for some voice types, and, and listen, I, I, I don't care stylistically how we want to approach this either, because um, there are just some voices that can, uh, whether they're doing a musical theater sound right through it or they're, you know, um, you know singing Verdi, who actually love hanging right there at the top of the staff and some who hate it. Yeah. Um, so who wants to jump in first? Let's talk about kind of some things that actually happen there first rather than strategies mm-hmm. for how to negotiate it. Well, you know what I wanted, if you don't mind, I, one thing I wanted to add that I thought after we finished that last podcast on that portion of the voice just below what we're talking about right now, I wanted to add, and, and you do this too, Nick, I know we've talked about this, that <clears throat> um, what I call, I call sideways yodeling. Mm-hmm. It's that exercise that you're singing on the same note, chest to head, chest to head, chest to head. Ah. And I forgot to mention it when we talked about it. And that is such a, it's such a great exercise to go from chest voice to head voice. Whether you do that in steps or whether you do that in leaps or whether it's on the same pitch. And my students love it. They just think that's the funniest thing. And I combine it with um, Estel hand signals, thick folds, thin folds, thick fold, thin folds. And they just absolutely love that. And then I sometimes play him that Mal, there's a Mal Webb video of him sideways yodeling, he calls it, and it's really fun. And so oh, anyway, it, it's a great that. way to kind of get engage them in that part of their voice that they really don't like very much because it's often very weak in the head voice. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, it's really fun. It's really fun to do that, um, you know, kind of like, <laughs> And so I forgot to mention that, and I feel like it's a really great exercise to do with voices in that zone. Oh, I a thousand percent agree. Cool. I do it. So I just wanted all, to tack that on before we now 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 let's go. Let's move along. <laughs> well, I love the what I love about that is that it demonstrates so clearly that we have choices in the way that we we move through that area so that it's not just one we can't just name that pitch range one kind of register mm-hmm. right exactly. like we we have choices there and play is a great way to kind of explore the extremes of those two choices i i i uh, gosh boy I, it's it's like i it, gosh i brought the right people on <laughs> I mean, I, 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 look, I agree with all of that a hundred percent. I mean, f- from, uh, f- gosh, that idea of play, Kayla, I mean, that's my instruction to every singer when they leave my studio in general. If you treat your practice like practice, it's terrible. If you treat it like play, you're going to learn something else. Um, although practice rage every once in a while is an effective strategy. Just <laughs> yeah. I had some going for a target and you can't hit it yet and you're angry about it i mean a former host of this podcast may have actually destroyed a practice room at one point in their life but i mean you know we, we, sarah they were, but they yep, were, it was me 
I went enraged. <laughs> but they reported it and paid for it and whatever. I had no idea about that. But um, so <laughs> learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, okay, so let me let me let me set something up. So I have with this with this next range up. So I have a, a student, a new new newish student, who had their experience of singing in general was only making a very light head voice or a really chesty mode one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very common. But, yeah. but in the head voice, they had never actually engaged a vocal tract resonance. Mm-hmm. They had no idea what that experience was like. And so the head voice was what I refer to as totally in the box and just kept in this little precious container that you might open up every once in a while. And then one day, listen, so here's going into this right away. Just I'm just going to dive in, talk about engaging a vocal tract resonance. Right. And, yeah, and, and get whatever. going. Just do it. Let's do One it. of my favorite ways to do it at the top of the staff is just doing sirens. Hmm. And we were doing them, and all of a sudden, as you might imagine, she found an E vocal tract resonance and was like, and all of a sudden, of course, the voice size, like, you know, quadrupled in decibel level. Mm-hmm. And she was just confused. <laughs> yes. I get that. If you've never, like, if, if you're not used to making that sound and probably think you can't make that sound. That's right. That would be a little wild. Well, and I find that with a lot of my students that come from a really strong belting background, you know, Which they just say, did. oh, I'm not a soprano. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't have, and then so when they discover that, that locking in that you're talking about, they're just like, what just happened? <laughs> it's yeah. really great. And it's probably a big surprise too because such a it's such a change in robustness of the sound but not a change in effort and that's the thing that's surprising is that if you just change the shape just slightly it will the system will Mm self-organize amen work for you instead of you having to work for it yes it's almost like you would have actually, by engaging the first vocal tract resonance in the fundamental, because that's what we're talking about, yeah, right? right? Sort of. Correct. I mean, that's yes. that's. Let's let's just give some. We should be detail. clear about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ken's term whoop timbre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don Miller's term was hoot. Hoot for that. <laughs> that's right. He was a hooter. Hoot. <laughs> I like it. And uh, which I think is what Richard Miller had actually used too. I think. Richard Miller. I don't, don't remember. Anyway, know. doesn't matter. But um, but that was Ken's term was whoop. Yeah. And uh, you know when you engage that and think what you want of uh, listen, our friend Ian in vocal tract resonances and harmonics really tuning anything or not and whatever. We'll let we'll let Ian deal with that on a on a future episode when the right. book is ready. But but uh, that first vocal tract resonance fundamental stuff is real. Oh yeah. Can mm-hmm. we just I mean that 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 stuff is real because and it feels it. great. Yeah. It's that yeah. locking in and you're like, "Ooh, I've just locked in." This And is all awesome. of a sudden, you have flow phonation as Kayla mm-hmm. just said. Mhm. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the effort goes way down and the volume goes way up and you're confused as all get out. 
And it's it's funny too. I think you know Ken Bozeman's pretty much always on my mind when I'm dealing with treble voices because this is the land where you know of consequence, right? So it depends on what vowel that we're talking about, yes. where mm. that F1 tuning Ooh. is going to happen. And so choosing your vowels very Wisely. carefully yeah. is, the, is the key here. So if, if your student found it on an E vowel, I would expect that she probably found that lower in the staff and then you were able to bring it up mm-hmm. then, then and track, track that first resonance upwards strangely than, no we actually really? found it with we, we actually found it by setting up the shape oh that really found high. the feeling mm, and then brought it down we set up What's the high tongue we set up the high, high tongue dorsum vertical jaw uh. that found the resonance Ooh, which is probably a different shape though than yeah, she of course. makes e in her regular life absolutely right? If everyone well, and that, could and see now we're having to retrain how to bring that <laughs> uh, lower down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I just want to tack on to that because, uh, you know, we Ken uses the eval so mm-hmm. beautifully. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like I've never, I'm not as successful with it as he is. And what to me, and since we're talking about vowels and resonances, Please. my what I feel like for that range right there, the magic vowel for me, I think, is open O. Oh, mm-hmm. and I get, it, yes. I just feel like it goes so well for that, for getting into that range mm-hmm. and finding, well, as we know, the, the res- resonance is a little bit lower, so it makes it easier for the singer to latch on, I think, and then... Um, and then, really, for head voice, it kind of sets up what I the correct mouth position in general that we kind of want from those tones up there, particularly in classical land. And um, I just think it's a magic vowel for that upper range um, when exploring it. At what frequency pitch, whatever, roughly, do you think that that really becomes effective? That open uh, O. The open O. Yeah, I, I'm just curious. You know, I. I usually start encouraging it right when I think it's going to be close to the resonance. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if that is so, so around cl- close to E, yeah, it it can be that. And some for some people it can be even lower um, yeah. if they yeah. if they go to a more closed O kind of position. Mm-hmm. And so wherever I just kind of see what happens, what they do with it. And then if I feel like they're getting really stuck, I just say, okay, let's think about more of an open O and let's mm. see what happens. And usually then boop, it latches right on and they're like, oh. So <laughs> yeah. that particular example is, of course, the strategy that Schwarzkopf uses in the one that Don loved to use and had in the book when she was singing Por Jamor mm-hmm. and on that famous scale, you know, the, the, the yeah, all the way up yeah, to the... Um, and of course, you know, re- Schwarzkopf really engaged it on the F, not on the E flat. Um, uh, I- out of curiosity, from an experiential standpoint, to the three of you, I'm a tenor. I don't know anything. Um, do you You're married think to a that, soprano? Do you think that that might sense? Well, now that's an interesting point. Actually, what you just said about being married to a soprano. I'll come back to that in a second. Do you think that there's any 
comparison there with that strategy compared to male cover Mm-hmm. tenor baritone bass cover or not oh, I'm, yes, I'm curious yes. on your opinions on that oh yes absolutely yeah. yeah there are so many comparisons and uh you know just the other day in vocal pedagogy when i was talking about registration i was com- i started actually with <laughs> with the famous Pavarotti um interview um, the covering, suspect a strangle, right? And then we played, and I sort of spoke with you, Nick, ahead of time, so you kind of know. I was looking for all these recordings of Dalla Sua Pace, so that um, we could hear how tenors were moving through that. And then, you know, of course, my females in the course are like, are my treble singers. I shouldn't just say females because actually I have yeah. a lot of treble singers. So, and, and they're all just like, okay, here we are talking about the tenors, tenors. again. Yeah. <laughs> but then I moved into, and this is not exactly related to what you're saying, but then we started to move into healthy belting oh. and treble voices. And then we started to move into higher registration in soprano mezzo voices. Oops, hit my piano. And, you know, so yes, yes, there's overlap. Yes, there are comparisons absolutely to be made. So, and it's another reason why I love open O. I think it's a magic, magic vowel. I think that it it does change the pitch range when we're talking about tenor, where tenors do it versus where sopranos sure. do it versus where mezzos. But I think sure. it is really yeah. similar. It is really similar. And also because the pitch range is different, the timbre that results is just slightly different. Yes. Right? Totally agree on that too, yeah. yes. Absolutely. So if I can add a, uh, an exercise to like kind of getting into this. Go. Ooh. A la Ken Bozeman <laughs> uh, with affect, right? This is like one of our really powerful tools, right? Yes. It's so much easier to build in skills for singers when we're building off of things that they already do really well. And so like I'll start on an F, F4, and I'll say, uh-huh. Uh huh, and that's kind of like the yes, I'm in agreement with you, and I have them like agree with me for a little bit of time. Uh huh, and then I'll say, oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I didn't think about that. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Oh, I didn't think about that. Uh huh. Oh, ah, oh. I right? love I that it's that. organic. Yeah, and then we go back and forth between that like a little bit brighter ah. And the huh kind of, cl- if we're getting closer to a open O kind of shape, and then mm-hmm. we can start connecting them in a portamento back oh, and yeah. forth uh, and bringing that up. That. And eventually, oh, nice. yeah, and eventually they, they think about it connected. It's not like all of a sudden now I'm switching a vowel. It's yeah. like this is what feels right, right to me already. Because when I ask a question, Oh, it's a generally higher pitched. <laughs> I love and, that. Oh. And more and more I rounded. You know, oh. in, in contrast um, to tenor or a baritone, I'm actually not a fan of open O uh-huh. because it encourages some serious opening for them through right. passaggio, yeah. whereas closed O is kind of my. If I want to teach someone how to feel what it feels like to turn over. Mm-hmm. That's oh, it what it, it feels like to turn over. Mm-hmm. It's the um, close. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, however, uh, so going back to what you said, Yvonne, my wife actually does not care for open O at the top of the staff, <laughs> and so oh, I, I'm, just using, I'm just using <laughs> that 
Well, but I'll tell you what first vocal tract resonance that's very similar that really engages it for her is the closed A vowel. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and you know you're still talking about that similar resonance there in, in terms of the spectrum and uh, yeah, you know like, so I just just <laughs> just to say that there are more than one strategy. No question. You know, no question. I, this is a really good point too, though, because some students are really facile with their tongue and being able to raise their tongue, and mm -hmm. some students are like locked in where that's just not accessible to them, especially when we're talking about higher pitches. And mm -hmm. so I think it it matters if they're, you know, facile with their tongue or if they can shape their lips a little easier, right? I think when that's a great through. point because also too, this is the other reason why I sort of when like I said, when we're getting up around the very top of the treble clef and we're trying to make that space, that's the other reason, I, you know, I, I'm not shoving my open O on anybody. <laughs> no, it's I, another reason I why actually, I go there because I use if, it they, for sure. if they go into awe, if you have an awe singer whose who, who's awe is suppressed tongue, tongue. Mm -hmm. uh, then yeah. I like the open O because then they reshape the tongue and get the arch back into into the tongue. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so there you go. Where I've run into trouble sometimes with open O is I like it, Kayla, when I can get there with the affect. If I instruct to go there with the shape sometimes, I get a little jaw tension in comparison to the tongue thing you were just talking about with students who might struggle with the facility of the tongue. Sometimes if I go to the physical instruction of the open O, I start just, you know, particularly if they come from a musical theater, we get yeah. a little of that jaw jutting <laughs> going on. Locked too, and yeah. and, and locked is the opposite of what we want when we're talking yeah. about yeah. Oh, above gosh, yes. C five because yes. you have to move to track the first resonance. You have to move the shape to track it. That's like how it works. <laughs> well, okay. and if I can promote another set of really great pedagogues, I absolutely Please. love the Spivey Barton exercise. Mm. Oh no, you don't. Mm -hmm. for yeah. that because again it's the affect it gets great again it's play and it's fun yeah. and students think it's hilarious you know I'll say don't you have a younger brother at home and they're <laughs> like yeah mm -hmm. like don't you just like oh no you don't oh no you don't oh no you don't you know that kind of idea yeah. oh no you don't that kind of idea to get that energy going and yeah. they're not thinking mm -hmm. about singing they're not thinking about vowels they're thinking about expressing so mm -hmm. that's one of my all-time faves I adore that exercise too yeah I, I also love their Yahoo exercise yeah I Yahoo, Yahoo is fun a lot <laughs> to get that ooh vowel in that upper octave, just an octave, yahoo, yeah, <laughs> big fan. Yes, yes. Well, and it helps as far as different vowels. One of the things I notice a lot, I think especially having now moved back from Atlanta to Mississippi, is sort of talking about backgrounds, is mm -hmm. people that grew up singing, I feel like in church choirs or in school choirs, which like in Mississippi, I I see a lot more of that background and there tends to be be that tendency to go to the more I think disconnected ooey sound whereas like especially when I was in Atlanta there was I worked with so many more students that were always just belting like that was their background they hadn't been in choir and so they were just singing ew they had never oh, I had some of them that had never made sounds in head voice they didn't think mm. they could and like mm. we had to overcome the obstacle of like when they did make that sound they went oh I don't like that 
that doesn't yeah. seem right. That do, or it's not powerful, and I that's not what powerful. they did. Yeah, and, they wanted and, and to it's make not. it at the beginning. It's not the same. Not yeah. <laughs> But it it was easier, and so mm-hmm. I think some of the like what vowels work for people. I think it kind of depends on that background, especially if you have come from that choral background. Oos and os can really easily slip into that very like small, pure sound that I think a lot of yeah, especially choral sopranos go for. Yeah, and that that breathy quality that yeah. will 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 keep it quiet. Because otherwise, if you don't do it breathy you will probably pop into a, a pretty strong resonance space and be loud, right? <laughs> like, and yeah, it's a totally different <laughs> right. goal of looking for blend versus wanting to be heard. Exactly. So, and yeah, on that strategy. front, on things that are often encouraged in group settings, this is not to knock choir directors. I understand that their task is so difficult because well, they're trying different. to get 100 people to you know have a vowel that aligns somehow. If I might suggest, if you're a voice teacher in this range, going back to a point Kayla made about the tongue facility thing, that Ken finally had the, I don't know, courage, chutzpah, to write down in KVP edition two, have them try releasing the tip of their tongue from their lower teeth Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. see what happens. Mm. Because... I'm going to tell you something. If you're a tenor and you're trying to sing a high C or a D, you need to release the tip of the tongue from your lower teeth. Ah. Otherwise, your jaw cannot drop uh, to the place where it needs to, right? And and Not if you're going to sing in some kind of E something. Mm-hmm. With the tongue high. Your tongue is a limited length. Like we should, we should, we should be clear about this. You can't all, you can't have it touching the the bottom of your teeth when your jaw is dropped to the point where it needs to be, and also very high to give you that narrowing that's yeah. beneficial and to your resonance for E. Thank you, Carrie Obert. The tongue dorsum can be high, and the root of the tongue can do different things to narrow the focal tract. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Yes. Well, and it does make me wonder, and this, of course, maybe this is a whole other podcast, but it does make (laughs) me, because you do see this in books written by choral people, that, that, you know, sticking the tip of the tongue right there at the gums, and I just don't under, where did that come from? I'm not, I don't know what that is. Uh, I, I can... I, I can see where if there was somebody who does tongue, like just really hardcore tongue backing I and think down. it was I think it was the fear of Kermit I really yeah. do oh yeah that somehow that that was the that was the in their mind what, but uh, you can, I can also still read create Kermit with the tongue I know it's actually <laughs> easier for me <laughs> oh well <laughs> um, I love the sounds that I, we can make <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I heard the weirdest one yesterday. I'm sorry, I'm going to say tell about mm-hmm. it really quick because mm-hmm. I told Kayla about it. <laughs> I had a had a, a young tenor in here, very incredibly talented, but has not maybe perhaps practiced, um, <laughs> who made the strangest noise I've ever heard a human make yesterday. I uh, for, finally get introduced them to the concept of a raspberry. They did the raspberry with their lower lip and their tongue with the jaw extremely jutted out and tight. And then their upper lip came around in tension and ooh. And they went 
and did two different pitches at the same time. <laughs> one through the ooh, one through the raspberry. It was uh, remarkable. Well, I've never heard the that. human. I've never heard the Take human body the make that noise before. <laughs> That's amazing. I, it, Sorry, it, I, I digress. I know, that, and you're making amazing. me think of other digressions, and I probably shouldn't go there either. But okay. it's so cool because of all there's, the noises we can There's make. something make I so want to talk about, thanks to our dear friend Ian Howell, in this yeah. range that I think is important in this range. That is a strategy, not necessarily an exercise, but that I have used more and more. That Ken's also written about some, but that is the idea of... If you look at Ian's absolute spectral tone color chart and you specifically look at Ken's interpretation of it, of the target vowel and the secondary color of the vowel, mm -hmm. one of the strategies that I have found remarkably effective, particularly for classical singers, has been going toward the secondary color the higher we get as we go through this pitch range. Mm. Um, and that has that for some of I have one particular client I'm thinking of professional singer in Chicago and it has made a world of difference for her mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, you know so I would encourage you to go look at Ken's chart with that and you know, try to memorize Ian's chart, and and then and then when Ian writes mm. the book, we're going to just have Ian on actually to talk about singing, yeah. um, and not talk about uh, sound jack. <laughs> <laughs> he does other things. Making. It's true. He really does. Most of the time, actually, he does the singing parts. <laughs> well, he needs to finish the book, and then we're going to do a publicity episode for the book. It sounds um, like you're a parent good, telling a kid, like, you've got to finish your homework. Yeah. <laughs> you finish your homework, You can be please. on the podcast when you finish your book. <laughs> well, I mean, if he wants to just share the whole thing with certain pedagogy professors who want to pilot in their acoustics course this spring, I mean, uh, that's uh, You're a, welcome to that. Me too. That could happen. Well, I can say... I, I can say also from like the time domain perspective that we've been talking about recently, like just think about it logically. The pitch period is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter the higher that we go up. And when when that like because that duration is getting shorter, there is a simplicity that becomes part of the wave, or it's doesn't it's always been in the wave, but like the complexity actually gets deleted. Because mm -hmm. we don't have time to allow the complexity to develop. So, like, the next closing happens too fast. That makes it, yeah, perfect exactly. sense. Exactly. So, like, that's a logical way of thinking about it. And I encourage you just wrap your mind around it, right? Like, as we ascend, we are going to get more simple. It's going to get more, dare I say, sinusoidal in the shape mm. or the, 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 re, uh, the repetition of the fundamental frequency. Because there's not a time more, for something else to get come forward. Sinusoidal is so much more scientifically informed than <laughs> saying the tone gets more pure. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Rather or, than making an ethical judgment on the noise. On, on, yeah. So, yeah, it gets, it, how about we'll say simple, right? Like if yeah. we're talking about simplicity versus complexity. Right. As we ascend, especially when we're talking about extremes towards the high. Think about what a chess voice sounds like versus what a whistle sounds like. Well, look, speaking of that. Dun, dun, dun. One of my favorite comparisons in life is to take a spectrogram of, you could pick any classical soprano you wanted, 
I like using Leontine's high A on her way up to the high C in O Patria Mia for this particular exercise because Leontine and O Patria mm. Mia. I mean, okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you've actually, ne- vocal fam, listen, if you've never mm. actually taken your time to watch Leontine's Farewell, O Patria Mia mm. at the Metropolitan Opera, what are you doing with your life? Like, like, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I love comparing her high A in that moment, uh, and you could certainly use one of the other great examples of anything, to uh, Eden Espinosa's G Sharp in Brooklyn when she does the riff at the end, mm. a la chest register, except it's not chest register because it's a high G sharp, um, a G sharp five, uh, F sharp two G sharp, the riff is the G sharp. Um, and uh, I love looking at those two spectrally where you have so much more information in Miss Espinosa's wave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so much less information in Miss Price's waveform. That doesn't make one better than the other or any kind of judgment of this nature. But just to, but then, of course, I also love deleting all the rest of the information and just playing them the fundamentals, yes. which sound remarkably similar. There oh, that's, yes. that's where I was. That's where I was going with this. Yeah. They sound practically identical because yeah. it's basically the same fundamental one mm-hmm. one one semitone away uh and when you listen to the full complexity of the waveform they sound nothing alike that they would certainly be produced by a different vocal fold totally configuration <laughs> and yet the fundamental would tell you something different yeah exactly right and and the the thought of how how much emphasis we put on the pitch that we're singing oh yeah is I, if I could open us up to the idea <laughs> <laughs> that the pitch that we're singing is yes. really, we can talk, equate that to laryngeal registration all we want, but the whole complete sound that we're experiencing is filtered through that vocal tract. It is not mm. just the pitch that we're singing and how we're configuring our larynx. That's right. right? There, it, there is a nonlinear source filtering. I would say actually that both of those particular wonderful artists could not do what they were doing if they were not shaping their vocal tracts into those appropriate shapes because the phonation would not sustain. It would not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. So there's two listening examples for you, vocal. I love it. And, you know, I mean, it is fun to filter those things and see your vocal pedagogy class go, what? (laughs) I remember... What magic is this? this. Sorry, this is not this part of the pitch range, but I remember taking, I don't know if you all remember this this singer, probably not, but a number of years ago on America's Got Talent, my children love that show, Mm -hmm. um, on America's Got Talent, they had that uh, sort of Janis Joplin um, teen prodigy-esque Courtney Hadwin on. Mm -hmm. And when you take, of course, a singer like that with that much distortion in their sound and you filter out everything but the fundamental the remarkable clear bell-like tone of the fundamental is still very confusing to a class of voice pedagogy students. Oh God, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. It's okay. to them. Uh, um, uh, 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 before we leave uh, sort of secondo passaggio, we, we need to address ah uh, a little bit, just just briefly address because you know, I would just like to first say, Listen, to all of our choral colleagues, if you're listening, 
the strategy for F5 is not drop your jaw as far as you can and just no. sing ah. Yeah. I, I just want to say that for every, or for you, a voice teacher, to the whole vocal fam, that is not the strategy. It, that's, a, that's a really good big risk because if you've already dropped your jaw at F5, that's right. you have nowhere to go. Yeah, what are you doing after that? And if you've already, like, because, I mean, I've had students that say, like, oh, well, I can only sing ah at F5. And you're like, well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got some other choices. <laughs> There's some choices. Cave- yeah. Slight caveat. Tenors, if you're mm. trying to sing F5, you need to be <laughs> oh, pretty vertical. Yes. Okay, I'm not Please. speaking to you. I'm, I'm no. speaking to you. I was, We're talking I was speaking about the people our... who have some more to go. Some <laughs> friends that, yeah, will be expected to sing higher than that in a moment. The vocal yes. fam, if you desperately want to hear me scream in F5, now that's on YouTube. <laughs> it's on YouTube. So. All right. I, I will definitely watch that one. It's very exciting. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, okay, let's let's transition up, shall we? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Boy, there are then the cases of those sopranos who dare, or mezzos or whoever, yeah. who dare yeah. to, or whoever, countertenors, what have you, mm-hmm. um, uh, who dare to sing the stratosphere. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I'd like each of you to talk a little bit um, about just the transition sort of from A to C first um, uh, f- for yourselves or your students. Because what I find with my students is we're getting into that pitch range where every half step becomes different. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And we know why, don't we? Resonance. <laughs> so, here, you know, just to jump in, like, so let's, we were saying, okay, you start F, you maybe lock into that first resonance, right? And so now um, we're, we currently understand, this is what we're currently understanding, that that first harmonic and that resonance, they're just happy little friends and they're rising, they can rise together as we rise in pitch. But at some point, you gotta let it go, and <laughs> it 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 has a limit, yeah. and it tends to limit itself somewhere around A and B flat five, ish. Somewhere ish, right? Everyone's different. Some people are at B. I've seen it up to B, yeah. Exactly. Every you have to discover this in your students and find out where this happens. But they are once again. It's almost like approaching F. The student feels like, yep, my voice runs out at B flat, or my voice runs out at B natural. I don't have anything above that comfortably or easily, blah, blah, blah. And it usually has to do with this first resonance rising high, and they just don't know how to maneuver out of it. The other thing is in that range is you've got a second resonance up there too. And so, because we are getting closer to the ah shape. Oh yeah. Ex- oh yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yes. That is the thing about that C six, you know. And it's really interesting because I had, you know, one of these light bulb moments with a student of mine uh, two weeks ago. Well, right before Thanksgiving, and we were working with open O, and she came in and she's like, you know, I've been practicing with open O, but it it, it feels like it has a limit. And I was like, oh, yeah, it has a limit. Yes. <laughs> you yes, you need does. to go. Quite, quite naturally. <laughs> go, go, let's go towards ah. And then what we discovered is for her, B flat on open O, 
spectacular. She felt locked in. It was awesome. But then be natural. Ah, boom. Locked right in on ah. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that was amazing. <laughs> and and then, of course, then she was writing ah above that. And, you know, it, it was the transition she needed to sort of release that resonance, that power of the resonance, I think. And if you listen to, you know, Leontine Price sing O Patria Mia, (laughs) you can actually hear as she goes from the A to the C, it's a wonderful moment that you might want to listen to. Anyway, Mm -hmm. moving on. (laughs) And this is also like fairly demonstrable by watching our Queen of the Nights, right? Mm -hmm. We have some great Met footage, like close up now. Worked Queen of the Night in a lesson this week with a student. (laughs) Like, like uh, this is where we're talking about this transition of being able to ascend further and further past where awe perhaps is not going to help us. That's right. But also, it's important to understand that, like, we're talking about pitch, too. So, like, the color of the fundamental at that point is also shifting. Right. It's also shifting. So it's going from that warmer awe color to a brighter mm-hmm. awe color, right? And... There's also another shift that we should keep in mind, which is the limitation of our vibration feeling. This is calling out to Chadley Ballantyne. Absolutely, 100%. Right? So this is this this around C5, B, B to C, right? This is our, our limitation of feeling vibration B to of C, sound. B5 to C6, right? That's right. B5 to C6. Yeah. Yeah. It's like at that point, our human skin is not able to perceive vibration from sound anymore. So you could be making all of the sound and all of a sudden, you cannot feel it anymore unless you really, really drive the volume, which is a danger, right? We don't wanna, we don't wanna try to push more in order to feel it the same. And so it, there's a letting go of, of feeling that needs to happen at the same time that there's a fundamental shift in vowel color and there's a fundamental need to release from that awe shape to a more awe shape right had, all of them is happening there <laughs> i had a teacher who was a coloratura actually was one of my wife's major teachers i only studied with her for a short period but she would talk about that change as the sound was there in the mask and whatever and then all of a sudden it went to three feet in front of her face it's gone yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it went from in the mask to about four feet up and above her forehead mm-hmm. in one half step and oh, yes. and, and of course, oh yes and of course as a singer like how do you duplicate that feeling immediately? But, oh, but right. knowing that it's okay or to even expect that, because otherwise you're trying to hold on to those sensations and you can't. It's like you said, you, you can't, can't make Are you that saying sound. that some people have done that before? Uh, I've tried. <laughs> I think in angry practice they've done that. Yeah, and I, I have, look, okay. Try. I just want to point out, I just want to clear my name. I am. I didn't have never destroyed a practice room. <laughs> this was not me. Now I have an angry practice I know you've things. angry practiced. Oh, before. I was I was angry practicing yesterday. Like <laughs> I it, I felt really bad. I was practicing something for a church job and expletives were everywhere. Oh, my husband it. was in the other room and he goes, "Sweetie, do do you want to take a break?" And I honey, was like, you know, "No, this is this is music for God. You do know that." Yeah. Right, honey? <laughs> that was the thing. He was like, "Sweetie, I, I just I don't know because it was it was not good. Oh. Christmas music was not meant to be sung that way." <laughs> okay, now okay. Let's, let's 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 go. Okay, so here, can I here's, just please oh, set it up? Go ahead, Nick. No, you lead. 
Well, I was gonna just, here's the pitch range now that we're going to talk about. That was the famous Audrey Luna at the Metropolitan Opera, um, audio courtesy of NPR. Um, uh, mm -hmm. that, that audio is also on YouTube, um, so I don't mind playing those six seconds of it. Um, uh, but uh, Miss Luna and I apprenticed together in Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but anyway, that is her uh, from um, Exterminating Angel um, uh, at the Metropolitan Opera. Um, an A6. Um, Fabulous. And uh, so let, let's talk about whistle, whatever we want to call this range. Whistle voice. Mm -hmm. um, uh, or uh, just extension or whatever you choose to call it. Um, I I don't think I've heard someone actually call it flageolet in 25 years, but no, <laughs> it's written it's weird. It's written. It every, every, every soprano I have that's interested in doing research on this, like they bring me the book and they're like, why flageolet. do they call it this? <laughs> why is well, this flageolet is, weird? that was, that was a, uh, an actual instrument, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I, th um, I think so. Yeah. I think it was an instrument and it was a four, I want to say it had four holes. It was a, a kind of woodwind instrument with four holes in it. And so it was very small, like a, maybe a, like a predecessor of the piccolo or something. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think that's where it comes from. And um, I actually, I don't know if this is the time to sort of promote this, but if you want to know more about whistle registration, this week I was doing some uh, searching um, and I came across a really great PhD thesis that really touched on a lot of the things I think we're going to be talking about today. And uh, it was it's called The Influence of Whistle Register Phonation Exercises in Conditioning the Second Passaggio of the Female Singing Voice by Allison Holmes Ben Dixon, who teaches at Coe College. I hope she's still there, but in, in Iowa. And it is a great, easy read. It's a wonderful dissertation. And so I think all of the things that we're gonna be talking about are sort of this. And I, I think your, you know, whistle registration, why, why do we have it? Um, I, I teach it with most of my students, why? Because it helps them extend the range without the effort. And as you pointed out, Kayla, we, you know, we're not gonna feel as much as we go higher it's hard to sort of get students to believe that it's a legitimate <laughs> sound, sound that light yeah. delicate touching and mm -hmm. um and so the her thesis is basically saying this is a great way to to get people to extend their range and uh, they actually did a, a project uh, they measured uh, several singers in it and it was and it's great and they all extended their range with practice over several weeks by uh two to 2.5 whole steps or something yeah whole steps. It was pretty, oh, yeah, wow. it's, yeah it's pretty yeah. pretty drastic but i think also in her conclusions too is that like the idea is that it can also make the transition when right. we were talking about earlier, right? Of like the octave below the, where the whistle register is, mm -hmm. that transition happen easier. Much easier. Yeah. I think that's true though for all of these octaves. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like I, you know, it's so much of the voice is so, and in the end, holistic that you, these different things inform each other so much. I was, um, uh, with, with, an, with a student this week, I was doing a thing where, they had to sit. What were we working on? Oh, we were working on Queen of the Night, mm -hmm. and and, and um, it, it 
they've moved into heavier repertoire, but they can still sing that particular aria. And so it's kind of like a juicy fifth aria on their package. You know, walking in with Traviata and No Word from Tom and Manon and whatever, Mm -hmm. and then having Queen sitting there like, hey, if you really want me to hear this, I can sing it as loud as Diana can. Um, Powerhouse. (laughs) You know, whatever. but because of their earlier experience when they were younger and whatever, they like to sharpen and everything. And I was actually having them, making them do the coloratura passages down an octave on a hootie oo vowel. <laughs> um, because I think so many of these octave things just inform each other. And Oh, yes. You know. Um, uh, so, you know, ab- about 10 years ago was, you know, when the Heinrich Rubo Castellano yeah. research was really hitting. They sort of theorized that mode three did not have any chord closure, that it was air turbulence through the vocal folds. Mm. Echternach 2013, um, vocal fold vibrations at high soprano fundamental frequencies demonstrated that there was no sign of that it was just air turbulence, that there was complete Mm -hmm. chord closure in those excerpts. So we really are talking about some kind of vibrational thing. It's not like Mm -hmm. we're just talking about vocal folds flapping in the breeze at your flabby glottis. Oh, right. I it's love- not it's oh. not a whistle through your vocal folds. Like let's yeah. like let's just say this. It's not it's, just air passing through right. stiff non You can do that. You, you can. can go. It's, of course. <laughs> You don't have to. That was me whistling ingressively in, in, <laughs> hey, through a, my vocal tract. Yep. Be mm. fun. Good for you. So it's, and and also like let's 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 kind of get a little bit more into the nitty gritty here. The the Heinrich Rubow had somebody make the choice to sing in a way that forced a register transition at every point. Right? They started very heavy in the register and took it up as far as they can. And of course we know there is going to be a point at which the vocal folds can't handle that kind of tension and it will pop or crack into the next vibratory mode. And so that's, that's what right. they were saying is like, if if you use the voice in this way, then we can see there are pitch limitations or thresholds that will cross over and there will be a different vibratory mode. However, you can also use the voice in a non-broken way that doesn't force <laughs> that doesn't force the yodel. Well, <laughs> exactly. I don't know too many tenors that can, but <laughs> but sopranos can <laughs> can do this. Uh, yeah, and 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 so that there can be kind of this bridge or mix or however we want to call it, right? So that there mm-hmm. there is there there is the way to transition smoothly through there, especially for trained people. It's the same for whistle register. I, we've mm-hmm. done enough. We've done enough very, very, very good work with our sopranos who sing up into this range with an EGG, where they have expressed that they can use the voice to flip into the whistle register where there is a break. And then they can also use their voice in a way that smoothly transitions where it doesn't, in the EGG signal, it doesn't look any different than head voice. And we even hear people do that on professional stages. Of course. Well, I was going to say in pop music. I, I mean, but even, well, oh, yeah. even in classical singing, like I'm thinking of a specific moment of, of, um, of, uh, 
that that high D at the end of Puritani, I don't know too many women. I know I, that, that that really famous recording of Ruth Ann doing it mm-hmm. at the Met. That's a she just that's a to, that she just pops and it brings out the change to lock mm-hmm. in the D, you know. I mean, and it's wonderful. That's different than perhaps you know making it a smoother transition. I, and I just like to add, Ruth Ann was a singer that that she stuck the tip of her tongue out when she sang. <laughs> Yvonne, I wonder, do you when you sing in that higher range, do you also feel like you have a choice there of whether to kind of force a flip or to do it more smoothly when i used to be able to sing in that range i i i could yeah Mm -hmm. i can't anymore so for me there's there's it's either sort of like (laughs) that kind of aggressive sound that nick makes or not there at all um i just don't have that facility anymore but i uh when i did which is always when i thought i always thought that research was so strange i thought no my vocal folds are vibrating. I mean, this is not a space <laughs> and a whistle coming out when I'm making these yeah. <laughs> so You're making and an actual pitch. Teaching so many, my studio is full of, of sopranos, and many of them have extensions. Of course, we're always working on extensions with mm-hmm. all of them. But um, that that is not a, a light whistle, um, thin sound. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it's what puts little whinge in my ear from time to time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. listen, one of the, the my greatest mistakes in the history of my teaching career was that there was a semester where I was working two coloraturas who were double cast through Queen and God almighty, if my lesson schedule didn't work out, that their lessons were back to back. Oh! <laughs> are, are you, were you singing high F6s? <laughs> well, and I had 12 tenors in the studio at the time. Oh, and so it was like the front end of my week was like nothing but tenors and then I would come in on Thursday and it was like nothing but coloratura (laughs) (laughs) and listen those are some very powerful sounds we measured it in my studio and even the student from speech and hearing science is sitting in my studio going (laughs) she she could not she was could not believe the level of mm-hmm. sound that was coming out of these singers. And she's just like, oh my goodness, that's so powerful. <laughs> it's so powerful. And also though, like, it's still light touch. Like you get there through the window yes. of light yes. touch. Yeah. It's not about forcing heavy registration <laughs> through that high pitch range. It won't work And it's out. also not a breathy sound. It's not. Yeah. No. No. Can, okay, before we run out of time, oh, can no. we talk about some exercises in that range? How do we access it? Yeah, I well, I will. I'd like to share the one that I, can I play was it if taught, you would like. but or, or, that or. Um, also the. I'll, this is a beginning one. This is one like you get a singer and they're like, no, I don't have any of those notes whatsoever. And I'd like to just say that this is a Burton Coffin exercise. You can find it, I think, on page. 35 and 42, he has these whistle exercises. And of, I think they're perfect for Is that for of Overtones or the other book? Oh, I'm sorry. This one is from the um, Bel Canto. Bel Canto. Uh-huh. Yes, I'm sorry. Page 35, Bel, Bel Canto. And so basically what he does, and whoa, big surprise here. It is an SOVT, essentially. So again, use your SOVTs. But he uses it with a hand over the mouth. So it's a... Um, that manually occluded vocal tract. Mm-hmm. Oh. And that's all it is. And, and you know, it's... 
in combi- I use that in combination with um, sometimes people call it the puppy, the puppy wine. The puppy wine. Whimper. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so we do that again, adding a little play into it. And then, you know, using some SOVT. Some of my students prefer the straw. The hand is, I think, kind of NG works. I like NG in the hand because it does allow the student to release their jaw a little bit if they mm-hmm. feel the need to do that. And um, so, so yeah, so that's a great way to gently touch those exercises. Um, Kayla, do you want to add on to that? or So I, I would add, so one of our students, uh, Soren Ostenfeld, like kind of introduced us to research in this vessel register. And they used an L shape to help them get to the whistle range. Phenomenal. Oh. <laughs> and it's a little bit like a puppy whimper plus an L. And I'm I really am like baking a big fat L. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that my tongue can stay as loose as possible. And that also allows the larynx to rise a little bit because we need it to, mm-hmm. in this range, we need it yes. to, but not so get anywhere. We didn't talk about Gosh, that. We yeah. said that yet. I don't yes. actually, yeah, I don't teach it, but it happens. It happens, right. And, and, and the thing is like the L helps it to happen without squeezing it to rise. So there's a difference between larynx rising and larynx squeezing. Um, oh. So like just, <laughs> yeah, Hello. yeah Hello. exactly. So this L is really, really nice to keep things like gentle and they're also not expecting it to be loud. That's what I love about SOVTs too, is like we know when we cover our hand over our mouth, it's not gonna be loud. That's right. Uh, yes. When we have a big fat ah shape or an ah shape or, like way spread right we're expecting there to be a loud sound out of our face and Mm -hmm. i think that like drives us to kind of force sometimes but this can't be forced it will be loud but not as a result of force Mm -hmm. i agree and you know the other thing i want to say about this exercise and because like nick sort of pointed this out and i i couldn't agree more when i heard it on the podcast but when you had carrie obert and she said be effective, not impressive. Oh so yeah. this exercise, so simple, right? Mm-hmm. Eight, five, three, one. So simple, but it's so effective. It works so well. Just those light touches and falling down. I personally like to approach these things top down um, when teaching it and initializing someone with this uh, discovery. Um, I top down is just easier, and uh, I rather than trying to leap into it it's not that someone can't discover it that way it's just that's how i tend to approach it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely we're gonna run out of time here oh, um no. I, gosh this is i, I actually i i think I, I will say that just for the if, if you do approach it bottom up vocal fam i actually am a big fan of just using a pitch glide octaves to yes. find this um mm. uh as well, um, uh, which can be also very effective, um, partic- particularly if you're not trying to control landing points as you're going, like in an arpeggio or a scale or something. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think with a probably a more untrained, like newer to voice lesson singer, like that can be key. Yeah. Well, yeah. and to my my singers who say, "Oh, I'm a mezzo. I don't sing that high," yeah. or "I'm a belter. I don't sing that high," and then you get them to do this exercise, and they're like, "What was that?" And, and <laughs> you know, and hey, next thing you know, they they've hit a C six, and they're like, hey, "Oh yeah, but that's not a real sound." Hey, <laughs> they belters. always say and the same like, thing. Is it not? Is it fake? Hey, belters, <laughs> find your F six. <laughs> 
find mm-hmm. your F6 space and then try to belt your F5. <laughs> Just uh, throwing that out there for you dun, to try. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. Love it. Yeah. Give um, it a try. I would also just like to say toward the at the end of this episode here that one of the reasons I wanted to do last year's episode on this and one of the reasons I wanted to do this year's episode on this is that we have to acknowledge that so much of our voice pedagogy literature was originally written by tenors and baritones. Mm-hmm. And that's practically who the original research was done on and so much and so we've just been trying to continue forging the path of making sure that there's quality information out there on treble singing Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it is still a growing body of literature that we need more work on Mm-hmm. And um, it's not to fault anyone for have done, having done research on a tenor or a baritone, um, including me. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's not uh, a lot of research out there on this registration. It, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, I, I have, I mean, as somebody who works, I'm a, the voice and sound analysis lab manager at NEC, right? So, like, I touch an EGG machine every day, right? And mm-hmm. I have to say, I think I'm probably the only woman that I know of who also takes samples of women singers all, all, all day, <laughs> like all of the time. And that, me being in the room, means that I, I prompt us to ask different questions. And so I don't think that there's any malintent of of any of our like forefather researchers but if there wasn't a woman in the room who says well maybe my body does it differently Mm -hmm. above this pitch range because (laughs) i can make those pitches (laughs) then they wouldn't think to ask those questions so i think it really just matters that we have women researchers asking questions too yes amen amen to continue though i know we're running out of time one of the things then i do following that kind of exercise is then have them pull the SOVT out and fall into the vowel so that you start it in that soft and then fall out of the vowel and then I have them just try it with a vowel preferably something like an ooh or an o um, there you will find that some people talk about keeping a really small ooh. This actually, speaking of women, was a Marchese exercise. She mm-hmm. called it tiny ooh. And so keeping that tiny ooh as, as a way to discover that voice, that placement, is a great is a great. I tool. have I have adjudicated treble singers before who were in process of finding that range and that was the still the stage that they were in of discovering it and all of a sudden yes. they would go to an E flat 6 and <laughs> everything would get real tiny and what have you um, uh, so I, I have, well, and that's I, have why, I have watched that lived out and that's mm-hmm. why Nick I sent you that exercise about how you, you touch coming down on the vowel once the student is comfortable touching with vowels they come down on the vowel, and then you have them sustain coming down the vowel. Can I play that really quick? Sure, so yes. They know what this is my student, Lisa Bulis. So it's like touch it, Just then barely sustain. Touch it. And then also the attack on the sustain is equally as light and touched. Yeah. So that they don't, especially mm-hmm. this one. She's a powerhouse belter. Ah, nice. Oh, 
that's so beautiful. Phenomenal. Yeah. So she's thank a powerhouse you to her belter. For allowing us to use her voice. Yeah. Oh yes, thank you, Lisa. We love you. <laughs> she's a great. She's your wonderful vocal fry podcast be. premiere debut. <laughs> De- debut. Lisa Bulis, vocal fry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she was kind enough to record that exercise. Um, after a day of singing rehearsals of Fun Home. So, I mean, she... I, mean, <laughs> I was like, hello. Yes, you. <laughs> um, anyway, so. speaking of thank yous, Yvonne, Kayla, I just love yes. both of y'all. Thank you so much for joining us um, mm-hmm. here and just being uh, part of the vocal fam. And we are honored to know both of you and uh, consider you... Uh, I-, I love that I love that now Vocal Fry, as, a, as the sitcom that we are, Sarah... <laughs> We yep. now have specific recurring guests, mm-hmm. but if they appear too many times, we have to raise their rate to a regular guest fee, <laughs> according to SAG um, gu- guidelines for the union. You know, I am happy to be the laugh that. track for you and Sarah. I am happy to do yes. that for you. <laughs> uh, uh, because, I mean, we have our regular guest stars in, in Joshua and uh, and that, but uh, Kayla and Yvonne have, uh, yeah. ha- have, have been on uh, multiple times now, and, mm-hmm. and we are grateful for it. Um, Thank you, so, Kayla. You actually might be, you might be, you know, after Joshua and Michael, you might be right there, uh, falling behind. Uh, you know, we we've we've <laughs> crossed paths on many different occasions now. It's true. <laughs> thank so. you for having. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having a space where people can talk about these Absolutely. things. This Absolutely. is huge. Well, that's all we seek to do is just create a space where people can talk. Talk. Be- and thank mostly you. because Perna hates writing. Um, <laughs> talking so much reading. easier. <laughs> Please it give me a conference, is. give me a podcast any yeah. day, but <laughs> writing anything I have to do to not write another article. <laughs> <laughs> that's real. Yeah. It's real. It's, <laughs> it's real. Yeah. Um, okay, vocal fam, that's it. Listen, uh, vocal fam, catch, catching you up on just a couple quick things before we go. One, stay up, stay up with Hawkeye. Um, yeah. I've only seen the first two episodes because mm. my life has been crazy this week. Okay, well, I'll give uh, you that. Uh, catch up on Star Trek Discovery, which is now three episodes in. But Sunday, 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 the finale of Doctor Who Flux. Here's hoping. This series has been incredible. Here is, I just want us to stick the landing. Stick the landing, I feel like Chibnall. I've been watching Come a gymnast on. do some elaborate routine. They're going it's into been, that final flip or whatever. You're going into that final whatever. pass. And I'm just like, and oh, we, gosh, we, please we, stick. We, we want the triple somersault and all, but we want you to stick that landing. I would much landing. rather you stick it. Like, please don't fall on your face. Yeah, we're, we're kind of okay if it's just a... Uh, do you have any last predictions for that real quick? So Just to say it out loud? Um, you know, I honestly, I'm kind of hoping we get, and I, I don't usually say this, a, a big cliffhanger. Because there are so many storylines still in play at this point. That I'm hoping. I, I'm hoping we get Osgood. I think that's the. Ooh, I want Osgood. I would like that. I would like I want that. Osgood. But I'm. I just kind of hope we get a. What is the house? The house. The old rackety house with no foundation that looks like it's flying in Kansas in the Wild Wicked Witch of the West. I don't even know. I, I watched the episodes and I didn't even. I don't, I don't know. It's appeared like four times in the season. I'm oh, gonna call. I have totally missed that. I'm gonna call that it's a, actually a different TARDIS holding Jody's what if memories. It's, oh, I was gonna say it's that diner. Who flew off in a diner? Wasn't oh, it? Oh God! Wasn't me it and, Clara? Me and Clara. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. What if it's the diner? <laughs> uh, well, anyway, we'll see. There's another big theory going around the internet that actually John Bishop's character is a Time Lord. 
who also has a fog watch and he's forgotten all of his memories, Dan. Um, I'm not buying it. And I'm really hoping at the end of the series we get a Yaz teen kiss. That's what I'm really hoping for, but I don't think it's going to happen. But obviously, the only way the doctor can kiss someone is if they are in like alternate, like parallel dimensions and they're separated. Oh, you mean like a parallel dimension where Yaz and Vinder's child might fall through a wormhole into another dimension where their child might actually be the timeless child and therefore be the doctor? What? What? I don't like that. I don't like them being her parent. I don't like yeah. that. Bell and, Bell and Vinder's kid I don't is going to be the doctor. Sorry. Nope. Bell and nope. Vinder's kid is going to be the doctor. I reject this. Totally, totally going to be the doctor. <laughs> it's going to be the doctor's parents. Sorry. We just introduced the idea that Tectoine was her like terrible <laughs> mother, abusive mother. Nah. We're going to introduce two characters. No. That's, that's, all right. All right, vocal fam. That is it for us. Sarah, what'd you have for breakfast? I don't Y'all are gonna make fun of me. You had Chocolate cookies. Chips. It wasn't cookies. You had cookies. They were those little breakfast biscuits. And she had cookies. They're making Christmas ones they're that cookies. are gingerbread. Michael would be calling cookies. you out right now. Okay, Cookie. we leave those out for Santa, Sarah. I literally, I literally, like, I went to my fridge this morning. I was like, "There's got to be some yogurt or something in here that I can eat, so I can say I ate yogurt." And there wasn't, so mm. I had to eat the gingerbread breakfast biscuits. Oh gosh. Velveeta breakfast biscuits. It says it on the box. I stand by my choices. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, Vocal Fam. It's been a great day. We're out. Peace.